Welcome to this week's Hotel Unlist podcast, where we'll be delivering for you, as per normal, around 20 minutes or so of thoughts on matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. And we're going to start by just about waving goodbye to Q2 results season um, by having a few thoughts around the uh, two big brand groups, Hyatt and Intercontinental, who reported, as with all the others, uh, substantially improved revenues. Um, as the, as the markets bounce back, but perhaps there was a bit more of a divergence between these two than amongst many of the others, not least because Hyatt is still uh, enjoying the fact that they recently acquired Apple Leisure Group, a big uh, bunch of uh, all-inclusive resort hotels. And those properties, thanks to the resurgence of the leisure market, are doing far better than even Hyatt had dreamed of when they uh, acquired the group. Um, and that also has catapulted their scale a lot further forward as well. So they're a lot, lot larger than they were. Their revenues are an awful lot higher than they were a year ago. Um, and uh, I think that they're achieving something like 16% year on year growth in, the, in their portfolio as a result of the, uh, the acquisition. Meanwhile, Intercontinental are uh, almost look like they're sort of plodding along in a rather m- much more pedestrian way, achieving three and a bit percent uh, net unit growth for uh, year on year, uh, and actually starting to give cash back to their shareholders rather than look for another juicy acquisition. So um, a bit of a divi- divergence, although they're both uh, seemingly enjoying the continuing strong uh, delivery of leisure guests. Yes, luxury and leisure have been the two winning um, segments, and of course, if you're if you're luxury and leisure, you've got a double whammy winner. Um, so that that's certainly been the case um, for Hyatt, um, and it's been the case um, for many other operators out there um, lucky enough to be in those segments. That's not to say that uh, IHG, uh, which has you know half of its portfolio in, well, it never quite manages to make clear what what it's going to call it. So um, <laughs> everyone else in the industry calls it mid scale, but it sometimes calls it mainstream, and then it calls it essentials, and it gets quite confusing actually what they actually do mean but it's that mid-markety bit with the likes of Holiday Inn and Avid and that kind of stuff or it's about half of its uh, revenues are coming from that that kind of thing but it's done pretty good I mean it's still outperformed as you said Chris all of the um, western global major hotel groups have outperformed estimates probably the least impressive was Accor um, most impressive um, Hyatt um, and Hyatt you've gave those super net unit growth numbers there um, if you strip out the ALG acquisition they come down to earth a little bit more and it was four and a half percent in the second quarter still strong still just about market leading but not that much further ahead of than all its rivals nonetheless over the last five years Hyatt has outperformed on the on the nug piece and you know those um people in the Accor corner shouting well look at you know at the quality of those um, contracts it's not just about openings well of course for Hyatt Hyatt it's been very much in uh, the big upscale contracts that it's been signing so um, Hyatt's not only been winning on the traditional nug measure in terms of total numbers it's been winning on the quality of the contracts piece as well so it's all round a pretty good position for them. I think the, the the bit that's worth uh, remarking on here is that this uncertainty we've got, increasing uncertainty we've got um, 
going forward um, and you know what happens Q3 what happens Q4 and what happens into 2023 and 2024 and we've got this real divergence now you we opened this segment up, Chris, with talking about divergence between different segments within the hotel sector. Mm-hmm. But I think the real divergence we've got is between hotels, which uh, have been doing phenomenally well, actually, um, um, you know, from excellent, uh, super fantastic um, in terms of their Q2 numbers. And all of the management teams are saying, look, it's going to get better as we get into Q3 and Q4. And yet, the economic outlook is just seems to be getting bleaker and bleaker and everybody's saying oh goodness we're we're you know this is going to be a terrible recession um well yeah let's see um i the certainly i think what we can say is there's there's going to be a divergence between what the hotel sector is doing and what the economy is doing and i think the adage that uh, hotels are you know there's a strong correlation between hotels and gdp that's for the birds we're not going to see that i think we're going to see much better performance in hotels than we will um relative um, than say how the economy is likely to perform over the next uh, few quarters um it may catch up with hotels but there's no sign of it so far um, and if we're to look at the the broader travel and tourism market there's certainly some signs of weakness there the global business travel association came out with uh, uh, yet another doom and gloom outlook um, pushing back a full recovery uh, another 18 months into 2026 Um, they're saying that we're not going to get back to the level of business travel we had in 2019 until 2026 they put the total spend of uh, business travel at 1.4 trillion us dollars now i think the problem with these forecasts is that I, I think North America in particular is going to be back probably by the end of 2023. I, you know, that we've been saying that for a while and I, I still will maintain that. And I think Western Europe won't be far behind it. So I, I think the original forecast um, by the GP, GBTA for 24 um, looked pessimistic. Now they're saying 2026. Uh, I think that's hugely pessimistic but i guess they're saying look we're taking a global perspective and certainly if you include china which looks very grim indeed um then that's true and asia pacific has been very slow um outside of china um also coming back so if you take those into account then maybe you get to their position but i think for this is not the case for north america and not the case for western europe um and europe as a whole i would suggest six of uh, the, the the pandemic was of course staycations uh, there was mixed thoughts on whether the staycations would survive as a thing once we could all get back in the air um so of course the hoteliers uh, who enjoyed a staycation bonus have been Uh, very much enjoying the headlines over the last few months of chaos at Britain's airports as people try to leave for holidays and it does appear that uh, that perhaps has helped motivate more and more people to stick with staycations. 
Um, the uh, we've, we've had a roundup of uh, thoughts and comments and, and numbers from several of the agents, which show that uh, the certainly in the UK, um, those sort of regional markets have had uh, once again a very strong summer, very strong occupancy, and uh, have pushed the rates they charge up uh, nicely too. Uh, so certainly out in the regions less so in in perhaps urban locations um, all those owners that had a, had a very t bad time through the pandemic are now enjoying a very good time as uh, customers rediscover um, what it's like to stay local rather than jump on a plane at a rather hot sweaty and stressful airport um, there's <laughs> what's interesting with this is that uh, we have actually got something of a recovery in that overseas tourism so 2e we're about to go on to talk about in our next item um, they're reporting 84 percent they're at 84 percent capacity in their q3 which is actually q2 by most other people's analysis it's the three months to the end of june um they're saying they're at 84% and they think that for the full year, which runs to March 31st next year, um, they think they're going to be at pretty much not 2019 levels. So, you know, I don't entirely buy this idea that there's been a total meltdown in the, in the overseas travel market. There's no question it's been a big problem. Um, uh, again, looking at the TUI uh, figures, um, they've shelled out 75 million euros in compensating people for, for flight delays, which is a pretty big chunk of change. Had it not been for that 75 million um, they've had to pay, they would have had their first profitable quarter. Um, in, in, in their Q3, uh, the Q2, calendar Q2. Um, but uh, um, for for the staycation market i think the good news actually it seems to be despite something of a recovery in the overseas travel piece it's still remaining pretty robust now we can speculate on what's going on here now i think there's a bunch of things happening one is i think there's actually a bit of reduced supply i do think people have left the market i think there's uh you know the, the ones which nobody looks at so they're not caught up in the stats the mom and pops as the americans call them the the very small owner operators the B&Bs there is evidence that these have exited the market and that will help buoy those that are left in the market and we're going to see a lot more of that I think as interest rates rise and things get tougher and tougher um, it could well be that if that rate of exit from the market is sufficient we will see a stronger uh, growing performance in those that are remaining in there against the overall marketplace um, so uh, I, you know and certainly we're so far we're seeing that we're seeing good as and as you found in your report chris that uh, overall we're seeing you know good occupancy actually um, um still and even better rates um we're not going to see the you know the 600 uh, pound um daily rate at the hilton bournemouth which is my <laughs> go-to example of how bonkers things got um you know that that clearly was never going to be a, a durable um um number um but we are seeing above average um, you know where things were in 2019 levels um, we're seeing higher rates than achieved there and and rates which are actually proving above inflation as well so uh, this this proves you know is evidence that hotels can be something of an inflation hedge here um, so this is all good 
good good strong news i think in in terms of that so again we come back to this issue about um are we having an economic apocalypse which we seem to um seems to be the case every time i look at uh yeah it just gets madder and madder in terms of the numbers so i mean i think today we had coming out from citigroup um they were suggesting inflation is going to hit 18.6 percent in the uk um in january which is astonishing um now this is this is worse than we had at the in 79 um when consumer price inflation hit 17.8 percent um and that was the second OPEC oil shock. Um, so this was the, the sort of super peak inflation of modern times back then. And they're suggesting the analyst at uh, uh, Citigroup, um, the economic forecasters at Citigroup are suggesting we're going to get back to that by January. Um, I'm not so sure. Um, it was interesting. There was an article by Jim O'Neill, him of the uh, ex-Goldman Sachs chief economist, um, former UK government minister and uh, most famous for his BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China uh, piece. Now, he was saying, I mean, he, he was an early doomster, actually. A year ago, he was predicting that things or the wheels were going to come off the economy now he's suggesting well maybe um he's sort of almost <laughs> repenting from that position and saying maybe this was oh. a bit overblown um and saying that yeah um and to quote him i know of no previous recession that was so confidently anticipated as the one that is supposedly <laughs> upon us now um he says you know recessions are usually unexpected well the suggestion clearly here is if everybody's saying it there's probably almost certainly they've got it wrong is, is his point um so he he thinks that uh, you know if you look at some and emphasis on the sum some long-term indicators are saying that sustained higher inflation is not actually likely um you know we're seeing commodity prices come off a little oil prices certainly down a bit so there's early signs of that it's also suggesting that you know the central bankers who are getting into um real hawkish mode in terms of we're going to be rev you know they're going to be revving up the interest rates he is expecting them to change tack quite quickly and to go dovish again and not actually push things up as much as uh, everybody mm. is fearing um i think we will still see you know interest rates get back to what would normally be seen as um low levels but normal low levels so to make the point we've made many times you know the the base rate in the UK um, never went below 200 basis points for 300 years. And we've had this weird period of more than a decade where it's been less than 50 uh, basis points. Um, we're now getting to that. So there's a correction back to a more normalized level of two to three percent, which is a sensible level. Um, it'll help also in having that sort of zombie clear out, which is another favorite. I see the headlines are going for at the moment saying this this doom and gloom with all these company bankruptcies well basically these companies which have been on life support for more than a decade um, and have been on been able to maintain that life support thanks to ultra low interest rates that's going to go and we're going to see um, them taken out um, creative destruction I should suppose would be the unsentimental way of referring to it I mean it's difficult times people lose their jobs and incomes and all the rest of it but that does facilitate um 
better more agile companies to come in and um, pick up the bits and as we were just talking about in terms of that supply situation um, those remaining in the market it's going to probably be good news um, so I think it's going to be you know a difficult period certainly for the next six to nine months until we get some economic clarity on exactly what's going on and further than that in terms of the the so-called zombie companies but you know I, I still well, I, I yeah, I, I'm still not in the doom and gloom camp, actually, entirely. Um, you know, if, if we take the CPIH, which is the Consumer Price Index, uh, Consumer Price Inflation, including, including housing costs, which is the preferred measure of it for the UK's Office for National Statistics, um, that was 8.8%. Um, .8%. Um, that's still you know down from where it was in December 1990 it was 9.2% so we're not quite busting through the records we probably will do over the next few months I would be highly surprised we get anywhere near what Citigroup are talking about but certainly we're going to get into the double digits um, and we had the consumer price index um, up at 10.1% for July um, that that is not such a robust measure of inflation um, but of course it was a higher figure so all the headline writers alighted upon that particular number um, and yeah it, it's going to get tough but you know, if interest rates don't go bonkers, um, in, in particular unemployment, which is going to be the key measure to watch, if that doesn't go crazy and that stays in the sort of sub 5% line, I think it, it number, I think it's very difficult to, to think we're going to have some, you know, disastrous level of correction. Um, and I think you know it could well surprise on the upside as we get into the sort of mid to late uh, 2023 now you'll remember this chris and listeners will remember this and they can hurl abuse at me if you know come easter we are indeed in the the depths of a terrible recession but uh, i i still think there's uh, reasons for I wouldn't say optimism because I think there's undoubtedly a downturn ahead, but I I, I think the the pessimism has now, been over. Now, uh, setting aside recent uh, heatwave conditions um, over in uh, in southeastern Europe, um, it's fair to say I think that the uh, Greek hotel market is uh, hotting up. Um, there seem to be more opportunities available. Um, more mainstream players are moving into that market. Uh, Azora, the Spanish investor, for example, just bought its first hotel in Greece. Um, there's a uh, big portfolio of non-performing loans, which are set against 74 hotel assets, uh, currently uh, up for bidding. Um, and uh, according to uh, consultants who monitor the country in great detail, um, there certainly seems like uh, we are now at a point where there may be opportunities for the brands to come in um, much more than they have done in the past and uh, increase their penetration into a market that um, is not just anymore for um, European visitors but uh, is also attracting uh, visitors from further afield including the US. So uh, if you own some Greek hotel assets you may be before very long branding them up under a Marriott or Hilton or AHG flag and um, then perhaps picking up uh, quite substantially more varied uh, and higher-end international clientele. Yeah, so 
uh, brings to the question is Greece the new Spain um, and uh, yes and no is the answer to that it, it, it is from the point of view of the interest has moved from the Iberian Peninsula certainly at least in terms of the deal makers the private equity groups have moved along the, the Med um, headed east and Greece is seen as the the place where there's like um, the potential for more deals. Um, the problem with Greece has been its uh, scalability in terms of the the size of the the lot size of the deals has been too small historically to generate much in the way of deal flow for these these uh, investors. But I think that's on the cusp of changing or has changed to a certain extent already actually um and you report on mm -hmm. a number of deals that have been tucked away chris don't you in, in in within that um and i think you know the, the outlook for greece is pretty good but i mean why it's not the new spain is spain is a very strong domestic market in its own right um and greece is much more dependent on international tourism inflows so i just looked at some 2019 numbers i mean it's the the last year when figures meant something um, from the World Tourism Organization and Spain is a significantly bigger market it's the second biggest market in a tourism market globally for international tourism receipts 71.2 billion euros um, Greece doesn't even make the top 20 it's just outside the top 20 18.2 billion big still significant market but nowhere near the scale of uh, Spain's um, and Spain is only you know just behind the US um, or I say just behind is number two behind the US the US is way out in front in terms of the scale of its market um, and and also if you look at the World Travel and Tourism Council figures um, Greece is much more dependent on those international visitors as I mentioned 68% of uh, tourism spend comes from international um, compared to 57% in Spain um, and and tourism is a much bigger bit of the Greek economy 21% against 14% in in Spain so tourism matters. Um, I think interesting. We, we mentioned we we're going to start talking about Tui, and it, it, it's uh, Tui has this thing out in Rhodes, um, which is calling the Rhodes Collab, where it's working with the government of the Southern Aegean region to to develop um, what it's it's calling an international beacon for the sustainable development of holiday destinations. And I think what, what's encouraging here is that Tui is engaging in this, which is a five-year project and it's it's engaging its recovery is very much built around sustainability and I mean sustainability in the widest I mean certainly that encompasses the environmental piece and the social piece but in the widest sense um, so um, the tagline to is adopting is tourism a force for good people planet and progress and I think that, you know and, uh, and I think we've, we've got to look to that as we come out of this uh, you know the pandemic lockdown nonsense and uh, the difficult period and overall I think we've had you know, very subdued growth um, um, throughout the period post the GFC um, I'm hoping that this is going to turn and we're going to see much more reasonable levels of growth um, and tourism is going to be in the vanguard of driving that with with its you know being at the the epicenter of the, the uh, experience economy and you know TUI, I think the the biggest tour operator in in Europe, it's got all sorts of issues still with regard to uh, its debt position, um, but it is 
coming back um, and as we've just mentioned it was just about on the cusp of profitability and um, and I think you know next year it's next uh, financial year it is going to hit you know back into quite decent profit profit levels again um, and part of that is going to be you know what's going on in places like Greece and um, just one final thought on Greece um, it's uh, a, a thing to watch and we're going to touch on things to watch um, in our no stars five stars but uh, is the flight traffic and um, GBR consulting uh, the Athens based consultancy they said that uh, during July uh, flight traffic in in Greece was just about the same as it in um as it was in 2019 it's just down just 0.8% and this compares with France which was down 15% Italy down 14% Spain and Turkey both down 10% and Portugal down 5% and i think if we're going to get this international tourism you know back um back to the levels it was at in 2019 we've got to see this flight traffic come back and uh, five stars, Andrew, uh, involves uh, resolution. All right. Let's, yeah, let's do two. Let's do the no star first, because um, uh, that relates directly to what we just talked about with flight. Um, so um, it's this nonsense that BA seem to have fallen into. I mean, it's um, you know British Airways. Um, they just announced they're axing another ten thousand flights, and they're warning of travel chaos. Um, until March um, I mean this really is a very poor show um, it's not just British Airways it's the, the, sh the shocking performance of um, Heathrow as well in particular I mean it's, it's an almighty mess um, you know this was clearly going to come back unless you were a doomster now I'm not quite sure how they've got it so badly wrong actually why they've been so incapable of, of bringing this back um, to you know where it was um, but it's certainly you know if, if we're gonna see six to nine months more of, of travel disruption this is really bad news for the recovery but you know what well, one could argue actually for hotels which are already booming um, this is just going to be a sort of a gradual tailwind which is kicking in as we get into sort of Easter of next year we're going to see hopefully that international travel piece you know um, fully back which is going to be an encouraging position um, and you know in the meantime hotels are just making hay with the existing business they've got so I guess that's the silver lining but this is very much a no star okay. situation now let's return from to British Airways. five stars yeah so this is the successful prosecution um, of um, the Harlequin um, resorts um, fraud um, now Harlequin interestingly um, listeners who attend the uh, IHIF in Berlin each year uh, may recall ooh, a decade plus ago that Harlequin actually had a stand there and they were you know trying to become um, legitimate uh, um, part of 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 our of our industry but the whole thing was a house of cards um the 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 uk serious fraud office has um you know been fine you know it's not had a great track record the sfo at prosecutions but they've done a good job here and they've they've got they've found they've got the the founder of this scheme david ames um who's actually was a brit but he's now naturalized in the caribbean at an island in the caribbean um, and he's been found guilty on two counts of fraud uh, by abuse of position 
Um, so we're waiting to see exactly what's going to happen in terms of his sentence. But uh, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with jail time. Interestingly enough, his son, um, who was also involved in um, Harlequin, uh, has already been um, been put in jail for a separate offence, um, also relating to well, it's a separate fraud, nothing to do with Harlequin. But uh, um, so it's you know the authorities are cracking down on these uh, dodgy uh, charlatans that we've had, unfortunately, in our midst in the industry, and um, it, they need and to be cracked down. And on that side, we'll say goodbye for industry now. Clean.